You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, if you have not seen Napoleon Dynamite by now, um, let me know and uh, we will fix that. Well, that's Uncle Rico. Man, if I could just go back. Um, For most people, there's something very repelling about being around someone who is stuck uh, living in uh, what could have been. Like, oh man, if this had just happened, if I could just go back. Um, There's just something sort of nauseating about it. In fact, uh, you really don't even want to be around somebody who's stuck in living with what actually was, what actually did happen. Why? Because there's an awareness in all of us that if you're living in the past... You're not fully living in the present. Um, this is especially true that, that this is incredibly perplexing to even think of if your past is one filled with miserable emptiness and slavery to sin. It's just unthinkable. And spiritually, in case you didn't know this, that's every single one of our story. That's the story that belongs to us before Christ. And I don't say this to be rude or mean or anything like that, but if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, if you have not believed in Him uh, as the Redeemer and the Savior, the one who atoned for our sins, then you may not realize this, but right now you are still living in miserable emptiness and slavery to sin. And our prayer is that that might end for you today. But if that is our past, why would we want to go back there? Why would we want to stay stuck there? Um, The Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't and that we don't have to. Um, If we've been set free from slavery to sin... We are now free to live and walk in righteousness. We are going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. If you've got your Bible and want to turn there now, um, if you're using the Bible app, um, you can go to the bottom where it says more and you can find events and you'll see the brook and you can follow along with us there. But last week, we opened up Romans chapter 6, where Paul talks about being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As a reminder, um, I want to start where we ended last week. We ended in verse 11. So take a look with me. Paul says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So now he says in verse 12, so because of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. In other words, if you're no longer a slave to sin, why in the world would you go on obeying it? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, 
but under grace. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This word, present or present, it has three distinct significant meanings, yet I, I hope that you'll see in a couple minutes here that they all almost tie together in this sentence, this declaration that the Apostle Paul makes. So let's talk about this for a minute. Um, first of all, we have the word P-R-E-S-E-N-T. We have the word present, all right? We even have the pronunciation for you, present. What are the definitions of this word? Well, for the first one is now. It is the present. Now it's not anymore, but yes, it is. We can get in a little game there. Uh, the present is the time that's at hand. So we live in the present. Now the other word that, that we pronounce present is a gift. It's something that you intentionally and hopefully joyfully give to somebody else. Okay, you, When we do this, we very often intentionally purchase something because we believe it, it's something the other person would desire. We wrap it up and we joyfully give it to them. Um, there isn't, at least that I'm aware of, an instruction manual on how to give a gift, but there are some things that we just begin to learn about what that ought to look like. Um, I've shared this with you before. I'm very well aware, uh, but I think it's worth sharing again. Um, so my mother-in-law has fairly often claimed that I'm hard to buy gifts for. So several years ago, my mother-in-law at Christmas, she started this pattern. She would go to downtown Charleston to the Izod or the Lacoste store. She knew I liked those shirts. She would walk in and she would ask one of the people, could you give me the ugliest shirt in the store? To which... Naturally, they would say, uh, ma'am, we don't have any ugly shirts in our store. Okay, so she'd eventually have to pick it out herself. But I would open it on Christmas morning, and here would be like a purple and green checkered Izod shirt or something like that. Why did my mother-in-law do this? Well, she gave this to me just full out saying... I got you the ugliest one in the store because I know that you're going to want to pick one out so you can just take it back and get another one. And some of you may think, well, that is the oddest, dumbest, weirdest thing ever. I love it because I am picky. And if somebody's going to buy me a shirt that costs that much money, I want to like it when I wear it. So I actually love how my mother-in-law does this. And the point is, she has me in mind when she does it. There's a lot of intentionality. You don't think that's a good idea? Who cares? She's not giving it to you. <laughs> but there's this intentionality with that gift that actually makes it special. You know, you don't also, you don't just um, leave it and hope that the person's going to find it. Um, there's got to be intentionality with how we give it. Let's talk about how maybe a gift wouldn't be special. Let's say you go over to a friend's house. It's like four months after your birthday. You're drinking some tea together, chatting it up, and, and they say, oh, hey, wait a minute. And they go over to the drawer in their kitchen, you know, where everything goes to die, that drawer. 
and they fish out this thing that looks like at one point it was wrapped, but that the dog from Sandlot got a hold of it. Um, and, and they're like, hey, I've been forgetting to give you this. Happy birthday. And you open it up, and it's a $5 gift card to Target. Awesome. Special. Not very thoughtful. And yes, you're going to take it and buy like two packs of gum. But even if that at the time was a sacrifice for the person, there obviously wasn't a whole lot of intention and joy in giving it. That needs to be there to make a gift worth giving. So there's the present. There's now, there's a gift. But now let's go to this word present. Paul says we are to present. This means to hand something over, to lay something down before someone. All right? So now keeping all of those words and definitions in mind, go back to what Paul says. You and I, in the everyday, in the right here and the right now, in the present, we are to present ourselves to God. Not only are we to look at our lives as this gift that we've been given, and now we're laying it back at the feet of the giver, we come and we present it. We very intentionally lay it down at the feet of the Lord. We are to present ourselves to God. Paul says here, this presenting, this is talking about the daily taking up of one's cross and the daily denying of ourselves and laying all of that at the feet of Christ. So today, in the present, please understand, we are either presenting ourselves to God as slaves of righteousness, or we are continuing to present ourselves to sin. It's one or the other. And I would dare say to you that there are numerous days of each of our lives where we walk out the front door and we really haven't thought about either. Well, when we don't intentionally present ourselves to God, we're going to drift the other direction. Look at verse 15. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. He rewinds the tape back to verses 1 and 2 and repeats himself again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more sin and impurity and lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 
if we've been set free from sin, we now present ourselves. We are free to present ourselves to God as slaves to righteousness. Now, a legitimate question would be, why would I want to go from slavery to slavery? What, what would be the point of this? Well, the point is that the effects and the result of slavery are totally dependent on the heart of the master that we're serving. Let me put it to you this way. How slavery affects us is totally dependent on who or what it is that we're a slave to. It matters what it is that we've become a slave to. And you'll notice in verse 16 that Paul says, Don't you know? Have you not learned this by now? You are slaves to the one who you obey. So understand, if you and I are a slave to the lust of the things of our eyes, if we live every day under this constant reeling desire of, man, if I could just get that, uh, I've got this, but I need the new one. Uh, If I could just get the next phone, if I could just get another pair of shoes, if I could just get a bigger boat, if I just had that thing that my neighbors have, if I could just get my hands on that one more thing, then I'll be satisfied. If we are driven and consumed by the lust of the things that our eyes see, that we think that we need and that we want, then the master that we serve is materialism. Period. If the lust of the flesh, if our sensual and sexual desires are the thing that consumes us and drives us, if when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, my thoughts are not, Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for me. Um, Help me to sleep well, rest in peace. Um, Lord, refine my heart. If my thoughts are not those of, thank you, Lord, refine me, Lord. But my thoughts are, if I could just see one more bit of flesh. If I could just somehow gratify that one desire that I have. I know it feels awkward in here right now. But that's because we, we usually don't talk about these things. But friends, if the lust of the flesh is what drives me, then my flesh is my master. The very thing that Jesus said, that Paul says throughout the New Testament, we are essentially to put the desires of the flesh to death. There is no greater, more consuming desire of the flesh that most of us will face than the sensual and sexual desires that we have. They are not evil in of themselves. Where our mind and our heart and sometimes our actions go with those desires is where the evil lies. If if success is the thing that drives me, if it defines 
like my decisions, my priorities, my ethics. Um, if, if it doesn't really matter what I do as long as I'm getting ahead, if I could just get that next promotion, that raise, um, if I could just get a little bit more status, whatever it may be, if that's what drives my life, then my pride is my master. But if a hunger and thirst for righteousness and a desire for God to be glorified, if those things rule me, if there's a desire to see Jesus rule and reign over every part of my life, what I look at, what comes out of my mouth, what I listen to, what I allow my mind to meditate on and to think about, which you and I, we all know, drifts down into our heart and begins to determine our affections and the things that we desire. If for you and I, the thing that rules over them is a desire for Jesus Christ to be glorified in and through all of that in my life, then Jesus Christ is my master. Jesus Christ is the one that I desire to obey. Paul says, do you not know you are a slave to the one you obey? Verse 17. He says, you who were once slaves have become obedient from the heart. And Paul here very, very intentionally very purposefully helps us understand this this is an issue of the heart okay now again let's confront something um, there is an overwhelming desire among us among human beings we want our feelings to drive our faithfulness let me repeat this we want our feelings to drive our faithfulness um, this happens very, very often in marriage. Okay, it's, it's just a broken light. It's not the devil or anything. I, well, actually, I, I'm not going to speak for the devil. It, it could be. Ignore it. Um, this is why marriages fall apart. Because people have been married for 15, 20 years and they go, I just don't feel the same anymore. Well, duh. You're getting older. I don't feel the same anymore either. But that's not the way that it's supposed to work. See, when we are faithful, most often the feelings take care of themselves. Friends, in the lifelong pursuit of holiness, desire begins with devotion. The desires that you and I want to have toward the Lord... We will not, you, you may not wake up tomorrow or Tuesday and go, oh my gosh, I'm just so pumped to read my Bible. Everybody just leave me alone for hours. I'm just going to go in here and read my Bible. That may not be you, but you still need to read your Bible. You need to be in the word of God. And very often when you determine this is what I need to do, this is what I must do, the desire will follow the more that we determine to walk with Christ, the more we will desire to walk with Christ. In verse 16, Paul says to them, 
you are to be slaves to obedience. It's, it's kind of funny the language Paul uses here. He actually says you're to be obedient to obedience. Figure out how that works. But Paul's trying to make a point. He's saying here, you want to be devoted to these things, then obey. Obey. No matter how confusing, no matter how hard, no matter how at war your flesh is with this, obey. John Stott, I quoted him last week. You'll hear me quote him again. John Stott says, conversion is an act of self-surrender. Self-surrender leads inevitably to slavery. And slavery demands a total, radical, exclusive obedience. And friends, this is cultivated through a life of daily determining to obey Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in verse 19, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. We cultivate this heart attitude that Paul talked about here in verse 17. You've now become obedient from the heart. We cultivate that heart attitude and a, that desire by a life of daily devotion. No secret, I love baseball. We love baseball in the Mayfield house. If you're familiar at all with baseball, then you know the name Ichiro. Ichiro Suzuki. There he is. This March, Ichiro retired after 18 seasons playing Major League Baseball. Um, He played about 10 years in Japan before he came to America to play in the majors. Uh, I believe um, that Ichiro Suzuki will be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'll tell you why. Ichiro finished his career with 3,000 plus hits. For those of you non-baseball people, that's a lot. Uh, He finished with 800 plus RBIs. He finished after 18 years in the majors with a 311 batting average, meaning that every third time Ichiro got up to bat, he hit the ball and got on base. That doesn't even count all the times that he got walked. So I don't even sure what his on base percentage was. It's probably really high. But check this out, 18 seasons in the major leagues, Ichiro was on the the disabled list, now the injured list, one time for about 10 to 14 days in 18 seasons. The dude's a machine. Physically, he's a machine, but (laughs) mentally, emotionally, the dude, uh, listen to this. Uh, so Ichiro obviously speaks Japanese. He also speaks English. He, I'm not sure if he was learning it when he got here or he learned it after he got here, but speaks very good English now. But after a couple of years of being here in the States playing Major League Baseball, Ichiro decided, I need to learn Spanish. I've been trying to learn Spanish for like 15 years just so I can communicate well on mission trips. I've failed miserably. But listen, you know why Ichiro decided he needed to learn Spanish? You're probably thinking so he could communicate with his Hispanic teammates. Yes, but the number one reason that he determined that he needed to learn Spanish is so that he could effectively smack talk 
Hispanic and Latino players. That's commitment. Okay? Uh, Ichiro would spend at least, and probably still does, an hour a day stretching. Ichiro, every single day, 360 days a year, not 365, he took five off. Um, I don't know what those five were, I just know the number. 360 days a year, Ichiro hits 200 plus baseballs. He's committed. His teammate D. Gordon, when he was on the Miami Marlins, said that one season after the season had ended, like three or four weeks after the season had ended, Gordon came back up to the stadium to get something out of his locker and he was hearing noise down in the batting cages and he goes down there and there's Ichiro by himself taking batting practice. Mike Sweeney was Ichiro's teammate on the Yankees. And one day, Sweeney got a call from one of his friends who said, Hey man, you're not going to believe this, but me and my wife were walking through Central Park and I saw this guy way, way, way up ahead on the baseball field throwing baseballs from foul pole to foul pole. And then by the time I got up close, he's, he's in there by himself hitting balls off a tee. And I thought, I got to figure out who this guy is. And he gets up close enough and obviously you know. It was Ichiro. Out of baseball field, in Central Park, in the winter, hitting baseballs by himself. The man was committed. It, it's been said it takes 10,000 hours to master something. I guarantee you that Ichiro Suzuki is a master at hitting the baseball. He has mastered it. And friends, as we talk about this, you, if you think about what does it take to be that kind of a person, obviously one of the words that will come to our mind is the word discipline. It takes like acute, overwhelming discipline to live that kind of life. But do you know what it takes to have that kind of discipline? It takes devotion. It takes being devoted. This guy who had been playing baseball since the third grade determined at some point a switch flipped and he determined not I will be the best in the world at this, but he did determine I will be the best that I can possibly be at what I'm going to do. That is devotion. Now, friends, if you want to walk in holiness and righteousness, it requires devotion. Devotion. Not so that Jesus will accept us or save us or love us, but because he already has. So that we can walk in the holiness and righteousness that he has called us to through the power of the Spirit. So that's the requirement. If we want to present ourselves as slaves to righteousness, it's going to require devotion, but now let's look at the result. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? 
For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Rome, and he is saying to the church in Madison, Alabama, if you think that you want to be a slave to anything other than Jesus Christ, anything, I am imploring you, examine what it's going to cost you. Paul is saying, if you think that you want to be a slave to anything other than Jesus, especially the things that you were saved from, I ask you to consider what fruit were you getting from that before you were saved from it? What was this doing for you? What's the result or the outcome? Paul says, what fruit were you getting from the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Now, when you look at verse 23, Paul makes a statement here that can maybe trip us up. He tells us that sin pays wages. It does pay something. So sin, it pays out. But you know, there are a lot of you sitting in this room who you worked long and you went through school and you got a job now. And you're on this thing called a salary. You're not earning a wage anymore. Because quite frankly, you can show up and drink coffee for two hours and you can be lazy and do all kinds of other stuff. And unless somebody figures it out, you may still get your check. But like when I was in college and I worked for Steve Hambrick, who worked for David Weekly Homes, and I was the cleanup guy in the neighborhood, I got paid when I worked. I got a wage. And Paul says that sin pays wages. It actually gives you what you deserve. And you know what you and I deserve? We deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. That's what sin pays out. You get what you deserve. But the contrast to this, the counter to this, is that God, the the most high God, the creator, the redeemer, he gives good gifts. And because he gives good gifts, and because he's given the greatest gift, you and I can actually get what we've done nothing to deserve. Eternal life. Going back to John Stott. He says, if then we are determined to get what we deserve, it can only be death. By contrast, eternal life is God's gift, wholly free and utterly undeserved. The only ground on which this gift is bestowed is the atoning death of Christ. And the only condition of receiving it is that we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is personally united to him by faith. Bondage to sin yields no return except shame and ongoing moral deterioration, culminating in the death we deserve. Bondage to God, however, yields the precious fruit of progressive holiness, culminating in the free gift of life. Friends, here's the truth. Slavery to Jesus Christ is actually freedom. Obedience to God is actually liberation. 
for all true followers of Jesus Christ, obedience is not this side thought. Uh, It's not this peripheral thing that maybe we think about at some point. At the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is loving devotion to God. And, And the test that we have for if we really love God is, do we obey him? Jesus said, if you love me, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey. Genuine love for Christ always manifests itself in obedience. Friends, as I close this morning, let me say this to you. One of the greatest lies that the enemy tries to sell us is that worldly fun is greater than godly joy. The enemy's trying to sell that lie all the time. Um, I know this because for at least two years of my life when I was in high school, man, I bought it. And I was determined, I am going to squeeze every bit of worldly fun out of this that I can. And by the time I got to the end of that, that sponge that was me, I squeezed the fun out and the life as well. I I had nothing left. And I think back to what my life was like at that point. And I just think, there is no way on earth I would ever go back to that. Ever. And and let me say this. I just feel like maybe the Spirit is leading me to say this. So I've been walking with the Lord now for 29 years. And people will ask me, and they don't ask me this because I'm any different or better than you. They ask me this because I'm a pastor. So what's your quiet time like? Or, I mean, people want to know, like, how do you spend time in the Word? Like, what's your prayer life like? I'd be glad to sit down and share some of that with you, but I will tell you, there are a whole lot of things about my walk with the Lord now that I don't really even think about them because they're just sort of ingrained in me. I would bet you that after about 10, 11, 12 years, Ichiro didn't think about hmm, am I going to go hit baseballs today or am I not? Nope, just did it. There's something in me that if I get in bed at night and I have not spent time at the table with God, communing with Him says, yeah, maybe you missed something today. Maybe you feel a bit empty and void. Maybe today you just skated through rather than presenting yourself to God as a slave to righteousness. But friends, on the one hand, let me say that a life of devotion, the desire has grown the more that the devotion has. But again, it's kind of like mind-boggling to me when I even say, I've been walking with the Lord for 29 years. If you're like, you've been saved for two years and you're just thinking, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. And 
I just open the Bible and try and read it. Um, we need to help you. We want to help you learn how to read the, the word, how to walk with the Lord. I will tell you, I highly encourage you to come Thursday night. We're not having a night of prayer so that all the professional prayers will come. We have none of those. What we need is for anyone and everyone to show up for five minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and just get on your face and commune with the Lord. When we're devoted, God pays attention. Why? Because he sees the heart. Paul says here, this is a matter of the heart. I love what R.C. Sproul said. He said, the gospel is more than an offer to be considered. It is a word from God to be obeyed. Believing in Christ and obeying him, they are synonymous. You, you can't somehow unravel them. Well, I believe in the Lord, but I don't, I don't really, you know, follow him. <clears throat> Wrong. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he came to do and he is Lord and Savior, then he is. That's what it is that you are believing. Believing in Christ, obeying him, they are forever linked. Simply put, true faith is obedient faith. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.